0: Hello, my name is James Juppany, and today we are looking at the Fabulous Royal Brothers. If pro wrestling is entertainment, then the Royal Brothers were the most entertaining tag team that's ever lived. And a lot of people have not heard of them, because they stayed home during the boom period of British professional wrestling. Vic Faulkner and Burt Royal. The Fabulous Royal Brothers. You can't really say any more than that. Their name became synonymous with greatness as the most out-there tag team in British professional wrestling. They are uh, they were popular and great wrestling spoilers from mountain. A big hand fans once again it is tag team time and the royals are back with their famous tag team the most popular tag team has ever been in this country it was once such a genteel affair but the royal brothers took one look at the mount evans rulebook laughed in its face and produced anarchy of wholesale proportions ah yes the mount evans rules bastions of control and restraint before i go into match analysis it's important that i set the playing field The rules for tag team wrestlings in the UK in the 1960s and 70s were set so that it was really a singles match followed by a singles match. Double teaming was strictly forbidden. When a wrestler tagged out, he had to relinquish any hold he had on. What the Royals did was circumvent and twist that rule at will. The long-suffering referees that tried to hold them to account had the nagging knowledge that the Royals were so popular that if they chose to enforce stoically, he may or may not get out of the building alive. So that constant friction was ever-present. Just how much could they get away with? It turned out to be an awful lot, and it lit up TV screens of the nation. Coming straight out of Bolton, Vic Faulkner and Burt Royal looked like the least likely wrestling heroes you could possibly imagine. Both of average size and average build, Burt was a bespoke example of the 70s establishment. Long face, Roman nose, comb over, he looked like Bobby Charlton's Italian cousin. Vic looked like the naughtiest boy in school, with his baby face and ever-present grin. They looked average. Two blokes you would see on the street who just happened to have found themselves in a wrestling ring. The sons of Vic Hessel, the former world Med heavyweight champion, they would both be outstanding singles wrestlers. Burt was a heavy middleweight and won the British title four times between 1968 and 1977. Vic was a welterweight, taking the British title three times in a long-ring feud with Jim Brakes between 1971 and also 1977. He then moved up to middleweight to take British and European honours. What made them famous and well-remembered by World of Sports era fans, though, was their tag team, the fabulous Royal Brothers. The Royal Brothers were about defying convention, and there was a lot of convention to defy. The Mount Evans rules of tag matches were as follows. The best of three falls over 20 or 30 minute time period. Tags can be made at any time, but holds must be relinquished during the changeover. As well as the usual rules about not attacking an opponent on the floor, 10 counts for the grounded wrestler, all the good fun stuff of tag team wrestling removed, Mount Evans committee had a lot to answer for. On top of that, joint kept tag matches to a minimum. There were no tag team titles until the World of Sport Tag Tournament in the early 1980s, and that was a one-off event. Their reasoning being it kept them special, and of course that meant if you wanted to see tag wrestling you had to go and see it at a live show. Imagine if modern day promoters looked at things with such restraint. Into this environment came the Royal Brothers. They took one look at the rulebook and figured out every way to get around it as best they could. Not to say that they were rule breakers, if their opponents played it straight, they would too. They just had their way of doing things. They were both expert mat wrestlers, and while Johnny Saint would use his mat skills to better his position, the Royals tended to use their skills to humiliate their opponents, which would of course antagonize the heels. Not always, but why waste so much heat getting talent in a straight match? Into responding in a heated manner. Then the rule breaking would come out for the Royals. Blind tags, do dos double teams, they were the wrestling equivalent of the Marx Brothers. not in the entertainment sense, though they were entertaining, the way they developed their wrestling style to break every convention in the book. It was through their wrestling style, the way they developed it to break every convention in the book. Given the way they looked and the way they could wrestle, it was pure anarchy. Though Bert was the heavier of the two and arguably the more accomplished, Hills did their best not to anger Vic, who had the shorter temper and the will to get to the rule breaking first. They were really in trouble when Bert got mad. Widely seen as the cool head of the two, when Bert got going, he was unstoppable. One of the few teams in British wrestling that were cheered because they broke the rules. They were unique in that respect. Their everyman appeal and their incredible skill set got them over to absurd heights. They were pictured with the Beatles, Sandy Shore, and other headline pop acts of the 1960s. With a lack of tag titles, they were kept apart in singles ranks most of the time until a decent tag feud was in the offing. The team of Steve Logan and Mick McManus, probably their only rivals in tag team popularity, though for entirely different reasons, would mean sellouts wherever they went. As they neared the retirement, they both went into the brewery trade. Burt would also become a local council of high renown in Bolton. They revolutionised the way British wrestling saw tag matches, and while no teams came along as good as them, they unified the approach of presenting two men as one unit, and it became much more popular. The Rockers, Pete Lepac and Tommy Lorne, the Hells Angels, Bobby Barnes and Adrian Street, Johnny St and Steve Best became the elite, and of course the ever unpopular, in a good way, Logan and McManus, all were helped in one way or another by the very existence of the fabulous Royal Brothers. However, the rough and tumble of traditional Lancashire ground and power was not what made them famous. Their ability to show off was second to none. That sense of showmanship and comedy served them well as a tag team competitors, where they were twice the fun and double the trouble. They delighted the working class audiences of the North, and wooed their Southern counterparts by following the old wrestling adage, be different. When matched up with ideal opposition, they were on fire. In answer to the clean-cut baby-faced ways of the Royals, Pete Lepac and Tommy Lorne, the outrageous rockers, were the essential antidote. Hailing from Leicester and Scotland respectively, their leather jackets and biker studs attire stood them out in a devoutly conservative 70s. Their clothes may have been straight out of the police academy's blue lagoon, but the heat was simple and clean to understand. The royals, in their royal purple trunks, did everything as a team. When the ref checked for the foreign objects, they lifted boots together at the same time and turned to their nails to be checked. While that observation may be overly analytical, it was meant to look like that. They would spend a lot of their time chasing the rough and ready heel teams of the era, Anything they could do to amplify their grace was important, and as Tommy Lorne baited the crowd, it showed a startling contrast. Faulkner and Lorne started this match, Vic working a wrist, then into the body scissors, before allowing Lorne to take a toe and ankle hold, and then placed his foot over his leg, and Lorne obligingly stood on his foot. Vic looked up and said, Mr. Reverie, is that legal? While Lorne was distracted, Faulkner rolled through and escaped the hold. It's that kind of act that swung for the Royals. Being their opponents was one thing, but it was no fun if they couldn't humiliate them along the way. Lawrence took control again, working a wrist lock. Faulkner mesmerized him through the roll through, and to reverse the hold and outstretched his hands for Lap Pack to tag in. Yes, he actually helped the opposition team as if to say, Yes, we really are that good. From any other pairing it would come across as egotistical grandstanding. But it was important to set up the premise that on any day everyone played. <laughs> that on any day when everyone played by the rules, the royals were unbeatable. The brill creamed comb over of Burt Royal glistened in the lights as he tagged in to face Lapac. He worked a wrist lock into a neck throw and then into a head scissors, keeping a watchful eye on Lawn as he did so. Lepak turned the head scissors into an ankle lock and turned Bert into a slam his knee into the mat. Bert broke it and pushed back with a mule kick. Lepak brushed it off and then tied up again. Bert turned a semi straight hold into a bat breaker. But they ended up in ropes. The theme for this first period was mat work, the kind you don't get nowadays, outside of Coca Cabana anyway. Lepak took over with a snapmare and a chin lock. Scared things were getting too technical, Vic got into the ring as if to break up the hold, but announced he was just changing sides and got back out. pack tagged in Lorne, who proceeded with the hold, using knees to drive into Royals' back. However, he got caught in the fireman's carry and tagged out to Lepac. Ken Walton warned the twinkle in his voice, the Royals will play it straight, as long as their opponents do. With that, Vic put his hands over Lepac's head from the outside and Burt yelled, Vic, don't! Lepak turned and Bert got a two pro- from a folding press. It was literally a It was literally schoolboy stuff. But it was fun and entertaining, and when Lorne jumped up in the ring to break up a pin, Vic began to shoot the short stop from tantrum to temple loss, and the fans would be along for the ride. The Rockers went after Vic's knee, working on it with all the quick tags that the rules would allow. After the short burst of double teaming, Vic reversed an Irish whip, landed a forearm on Lorne's chest and called him Bert. They whipped the rockers into each other, pulled their legs apart from the familiar rowboating action, and leg tripped the ref into the pack, to the raptures of the crowd. Bert took over on Lorne, working through some mat work, and then into a crisscross series that ended with a smacking left-hand slap that rang out around the building. Lorne ran after him. Bert ducked and delivered a roll-up for the first fall, the perfect display of regal style and one-upmanship, perfect tag wrestling for that time and era. When the second period started, the fun games continued. Lorne whipping Bert into the corner while Vic came in, dosy doed him back into Lorne, who received a forearm for his trouble. Eventually, Lorne and the pack regained the advantage, as they had to do. However, while Vic may have been unnecessarily fellfish while well on top of his man, he sold for England when working from underneath. Lorne took advantage by using a forward-facing hammerlock and using a close fist into Vic's kidneys. In a British wrestling ring of the 1970s, the most heinous of crimes. Vic was stuck in no man's land. Hammered into the opposition corner, he used a ring very well to set up Faulkner. Faulkner would reverse whatever they put on it on, but they would be simply tagging out tag themselves out. The Rockers set about their period of the time on top with heelish glee, using every dirty trick in the book. They kept Vic cornered, crying out for the tag to Bert. Stupidly, pack missed a trick and head made Vic into Bert's tag. He was not a happy man. He rushed pack and used his forearm uppercut to send Bert out of the ring and slow him down. Lohan flaunted disqualification as he continually attacked Royal on the floor. They were building towards evening the odds in the match. pack ran into the ropes, but Vic dropped and caught his ankle. While he was distracted, Bert rolled him up, Vic gave a convincing fast count, and the bell was called for the match on the confusion. This was truly anarchy of Olympic standard, and the crowd were engrossed. When the match restarted, a fired-up Vic came into the ring and bulldog lawn into each corner pad. When Bert took over, he would survive a skirmish to do the same to Lepac in his own partner. The ref was on the verge of a breakdown, but the crowd were apoplectic. When the ref did admonish them, they dropped into their knees in stereo prayers to, to beg forgiveness. When Lepac tried to break a wrist lock by putting his leg over the rope, Vic dragged him along it. It was a spectacular display of showboating. They had been through the wrestling purgatory to get to their just desserts. Uncharacteristically, Vic missed a dropkick and a sunset flip as if to outdo themselves in the beauty of their genius, but enough to give the Rockers an equalising fall. Yes, there was a time when missing a dropkick could cost you a match. The Rockers continued onwards. The ruling that whoever lost the fall had to continue played into the heel's hands. The pack whipped Vic into the post and long continued the punishment in the corner. Vic came back with a double knee lift, putting up his dukes and showing a clearly blown temper. He whipped Lorne into his own corner. Bert set him up with his legs from opposite corner ropes. His soft tissue exposed. the used the pack as a battering wrap into Lorne's stomach. Pantomime it certainly was. Lorne managed an aspiration for Nelson. The pack came to the head but Bert in the gut, which set Vic off into his temper tantrum. He jumped in the ring and double-legged the catapulting him into his partner just as Bert got out of the way. Bert applied a wrist lock and flipped Merred Lorne to the floor. <coughs> with the ref occupied with the Vic came in as Bert clapped his hands loudly. The first time I ever saw this American tag wrestling staple. They swapped back and forth till the referee caught them, but he let it go. The simple easy things that seemed so obvious now were their calling cards. Pushing Lorne's hand in and out of reach for Le pack's tag was another trick, until Le pack leaned so far forward he fell over the top rope. Bert held Lorne while Vic delivered a perfect missile dropkick and then tagged in. Lorne tagged out and Le pack was thrown into the ropes. A series of flying head scissors followed, a dropkick which pushed Le pack into the top rope stanchion and a folding press delivered the pin. As if it was ever in doubt, just a matter of time. The match was spot-based heaven, 30 years before the phrase became popular as a way of describing a style. The Royals were the first step in the evolution of tag team wrestling. And that's our telling stories for today, the Fabulous Royal Brothers. We will continue their story next week and look at more matches from the 1970s that they had. Trying to explain their style to a modern audience is not easy these matches are difficult to commentate on without giving reference to the visuals, so if you wish to go see them, go look them up on YouTube. The Rockers versus the Fabulous Royal Brothers is a brilliant match to watch, and you should go find it on YouTube. And you will see that the cornerstone of a lot of what you see in tag wrestling today came from the Royal Brothers. My name is James Troopany and this has been Telling Stories. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star, find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and you can find us on Patreon where you can keep the channel free forever for everyone. The music is by Sheriff Lone Star and the deputies of Heartbreak, Salmon Salad Boogie, and you can find that on Bandcamp forward slash Sheriff Lone Star.